0: Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome back to X is for Xerxes. Let's talk now about some of the takeaways from this good book. And these come in no particular order just because, well, I'm not that organized today. The first thing I think I'll talk about is the Festival of Purim, which you'll read about, is instituted at the end of the book. It is one of the two extra festivals that are on the Jewish calendar and have been for centuries that are not mentioned in the Bible, uh, in the Mosaic Law. That is to say, God did not institute Purim. They added it here as a, as a cultural thing. Hanukkah is also not one of the biblically commanded festivals. It was added as a result of the uh, victory of the Maccabees um, during the Maccabean Revolt. There's another great story that maybe someday we'll have an opportunity to look at. There's no problem with that. The fact that God did not ordain the festival of Purim does not make it a bad thing, despite what some people have said. God's okay with that. Hey, there's nothing in the Bible about birthday parties. That doesn't mean you can't have a birthday party. The uh, traditional Church of Christ... There are several branches, but the traditional version of the Church of Christ will not allow any instruments in their service. Why? Because in the New Testament, nowhere does it mention that they sang with instruments, and if it doesn't say you can do it, then you must not. That is not the way it works, folks. Let's not get all stressed out about stuff like that. They can go ahead and have a festival of Purim to celebrate what happened here in this book, and boy, do they have a festival. As I said in part one, the kids dress up in costumes. It is traditional in any given synagogue for the children of that synagogue to rehearse and then put on this as a play, put on this story as a play, and there is uh, they all dress up in costumes, and there's lots of noise. Do you remember how, um, if you've ever been to, a, to an example of Western theater, whenever the bad guy walks on stage, you know, with his handlebar mustache and his black coat and and all the people in the audience boo and hiss. And whenever the, the hero walks on with a white hat and and uh, all that, then they cheer for him. That's the way it happens when the kids put on this play of Purim. Uh, there are noisemakers. Uh, I, I don't know the name of the that thing that's on a stick and you twirl it, and it's got like a ratchet noise on it. And whenever the name of Haman—they they read the book, okay— they read the book as they put on this play, And when they come to Haman's name, they make all this noise and boo and hiss and make noise. And the point is, we're to drown out his name so that it is never heard again. And whenever Haman, uh, whenever Mordecai's name is mentioned, they cheer and root and hooray and hooray and all that kind of stuff. They exchange gifts. And then there is a dessert, uh, a, a sweet. It's not a dessert. It's a sweet. It's a pastry called Hamantashen. Haman, Heyman, Haman, Haman Toshen Toshen is the Yiddish word for hat. And it's called Haman Toshen because uh, traditionally, who knows, but traditionally Haman wore a three-cornered hat, not unlike what you would picture on the head of... Uh, who's the guy that rode through the night to warn the British are coming? His name escapes me right now. That's terrible. But you, you know that three-cornered hat that they wore back then? That's a little like what traditionally... Haman There is this pastry called hamantashen. They're, oh, I suppose they're about the size, a little bigger than a silver dollar. Uh, you start out with a round pastry dough, and you fold up, so you get this three-cornered, and then you fill the, the center of that, formed by, by folding up the three portion, the three sides. You fill that with jam, a sweet jam. And that is the traditional pastry served at the Purim party. If you want, you can go look it up and get a recipe. When I would teach this, when I was teaching at the Bible college, and uh, I would, we would get to this book in Bible 101, Pam would make up a whole batch of hamantaschen, and we would pass them around. And, and I would tell the story of Esther, then we would do a very abbreviated version of the story, and I would read selected verses from the book, and every time I'd came to Naaman's name, uh, the students were instructed to make so much noise that his name could not be heard and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's party time. That's the Festival of Purim. I should have looked up before I started this. I should have looked up when it comes on the calendar this year because, again, it moves. They've got a lunar calendar and we've got a solar calendar. I don't remember when the Festival of Purim is. You can look it up and you can look up a recipe for Hamantashen, And wouldn't that be a fun thing for your family to do? wouldn't it be a great way for them to learn the story of the book of Esther and the lessons of the book of Esther? And you could, together, as a family, depending on the age of your kids, they could help you make the hamantash. It's an easy thing to make. You roll out this dough and you fold it. Yeah, simple thing to make. There's a possibility for you. That's one thing to take away from the book of Esther. But there are others. Let's talk for a bit. About anti Semitism, because this book is filled with anti Semitism. In fact, it is the first example that we have in the Bible of anti Semitism de jure. That phrase, that term, de jure, means written into law. Uh, that's one of the things that Haman did. He got Xerxes to codify, to write into law that all of the Jews were to be killed. On such and such a date, again, you got to read this book if you haven't already. That is anti Semitism de jure. There is, prior to this, anti Semitism de facto. That is to say, it, it, it happens, but it's not written into law. Think of the book of Daniel and the wise men who were jealous of Daniel's rising status in the, the uh, palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. They came up with this plot to discredit Daniel and get him killed. That was not so much anti-Semitism de jure as it was de facto anti-Semitism. There are, unfortunately, in the world today, places where there is anti-Semitism de jure. There is a whole lot, apparently, of anti-Semitism de facto. And I don't understand this. Right now, I mean, even today, I've heard more news stories about anti-Semitism. Just today, there is a story out, a news story out, that there has been a plot, apparently they've discovered it and, and quashed it. There has been a plot to assassinate government officials who are Jewish. One of the targets of that was the attorney general in the state of Michigan, a woman who's of, of Jewish lineage. I don't understand that at all. What is the basis for this hatred of Jewish people? Um, yeah, I can't figure it out. Anyhow, we find it written into the law in the book of Esther. Uh, it is entirely inappropriate. Listen, we understand, I hope you understand that any kind of of, of that anti-Jewish or Hatred of anybody for their race, Asian, anti-Asian sentiment. Of course, anti-black sentiment. That is entirely inappropriate for God's people. God loves us without regard to the color of our skin. Goodness, isn't that a basic tenet of dispensationalism? God does not have any special people. We are neither uh, Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male or female, We are all one in Christ. Shame on us if we have any hint. All right, I'm old guy. I'm an old guy. I graduated from high school in 19. Well, it's none of your business. But let's just say I'm old enough to remember the race riots and the assassinations that took place. And I must say I am aware that my views on race relations and my Instinctive sentiments on people of other ethnicities have changed for the better in the last 50 years of my life, 60 years of my life. And I look back and I say, I was a victim of my culture when it came to the way I viewed race. Um, Does that make me innocent or guilty? I'll let somebody smarter than me figure that out. Uh, I can just see progress in my own thinking, and my own views, and I'm thankful for that. And I wondered if I were to live another 72 years, if I would look back on myself at this point and say, you made progress. Probably so, probably so. But at this point, let's us recognize that there is no basis whatsoever for anti-Semitism or anti-any other ethnicity. It is a prominent part of this book's storyline. And if you're reading the book of Esther, if you have read it and can recall it, you will know that that is so key to what happens in this book. It is displeasing. And the revenge, frankly, the inappropriate, the overstated um, revenge that Mordecai and Esther engineer and carry out against their anti-Semitic, enemies in the book of Esther is, I think, a case can be made overplayed. Uh, It it is really just revenge. And it's at least as cruel as what was plotted. And that's the basis. I mean, that's why they seek that kind of revenge. You planned to do this to us. We will turn around and do it to you. That's hardly a biblical um, virtuous line, is it? But that's what they did which leads me to the next point. There is a third option. They sought to prevent what was going to be done to all of the Jews by plotting this revenge. Well, you'll read, if you haven't already, you'll read about dates that Haman said that on such and such a date, we will carry out against all of the Jews in the kingdom, this plot to exterminate them. Uh, um, uh, Mordecai and Esther get the king to agree that all of the enemies plotting that annihilation will themselves be killed on a date prior to that. Uh, There is a third option. Option number one is succumb to that uh, extermination. Option number two is to plot your own revenge. Option number three might just be to trust God. If we believe that God is taking care of us then we don't have to plot evil to take care of ourselves. We said in part one that that it's really hard to find any virtuous person in this book. Mordecai and Esther don't demonstrate a faith in the sovereignty and omnipotence of a God who has sworn to watch out for and protect his people. Frankly, Uh, Shame on them for that failure. Number three, God's grace pushes through. God here uses all of Mordecai's and Esther's excessive vengeance and nonetheless works it out to preserve the people of Israel in the Medo-Persian kingdom. God is thankfully not bound by our unrighteousness, huh? The fact that it ended up in, in preservation, the fact that the Jews were rescued through the plot of Mordecai and Esther to wreak vengeance on their enemies does not make it right. The ends do not justify the means. Furthermore, the fact that God brought about those ends does not mean he approves of the means. That is also apparent over and over and over again throughout especially the Old Testament narratives. Uh, Characters, God's individuals, God's men and women sometimes act very badly. God in his great grace uses those bad actions to bring about his righteous ends. That does not mean He approves of their bad actions. That is worth noting because on more than one occasion, I've had somebody say to me, well, it must have been okay because look at how it turned out. Stop. You can't do that. That is a false equivalency. It turned out that way because God is gracious and he is so gracious that he took your bad actions and still worked them out for good. That is how great God's uh, grace is. Now, there's more and we could go on, but I'd feel like I was I was pressing beyond where we need to go. Again, read this book. It's fun to read. Your kids will benefit from it. Uh, look up on Wikipedia or whatever. Uh, type into a search engine, when is Purim in 2023? And mark it on your calendar. And as a family... Uh, take time. If you don't do the whole, make hamantashen and tell the story and, and make noisemakers. If you don't do all that, at least go over the, the story. And maybe you have your kids dress up as Haman and Mordecai, uh, Esther, maybe even King Xerxes. And I promise you, they will remember this Bible story the rest of their lives for having acted it out. I want to encourage you to do that. Okay. Again, I'll be missing for two, maybe three weeks Uh, We'll be back. We will do Y and Z and then we'll start the alphabet all over again and and work through it. I don't know if there's anybody out there listening, but I'm having fun and that's that's all it takes. You take care of yourself. I'm going to go have some fun in Phoenix and then in Brazil and I'll see you when I get back. God bless.